Hello, and welcome to the latest episode on the ShoePod Sessions. The purpose of these sessions is to help our listeners understand the key components of a commercial contract. Today's topic on our journey through a contract series is on non-disclosure agreements. By way of introduction, my name is Ed, and I'm a trainee solicitor in the Commercial and Projects team. And my name is Sophie, and I'm also a trainee solicitor in the Commercial and Projects team. So, Ed, what is a non-disclosure agreement, and when would it be used? An NDA is otherwise known as a non-disclosure agreement or a confidentiality agreement. In a commercial setting, an NDA is often used before the parties have decided whether or not to enter into a contract. For example, when they are evaluating or engaging in a potential business relationship where confidential information needs to be disclosed at an early stage. But it can be used in a wide variety of scenarios where information is being exchanged. Specific examples include soliciting proposals from service or good providers, where the exchange of pricing, strategies, specifications and business methods may be exchanged. Generally speaking, it allows parties to get going with their commercial discussions whilst having some legal protection in place in relation to the information they may be sharing as part of those discussions. So Sophie, why is it important to have an NDA in place? The main purpose of an NDA is to protect confidential or otherwise sensitive information that a company would not want to be made public and to create a contractual and legally enforceable basis for protecting that information. It can also be used to avoid confusion over what the parties consider to be confidential. So, for example, it can flag that particular information is considered to be sensitive and within the remit of the NDA. And of course, while some people would say that it should be obvious that we shouldn't share the information, enforcing written agreements is always easier than relying on the common law or unwritten understandings. Okay, so that makes sense. But when should you enter into an NDA? Timing-wise, an NDA should be entered into before any information is exchanged because that will ensure that all of the information that is subsequently disclosed is protected. However, if information has already been disclosed, the parties should consider how they address that in the NDA. Now, Ed, in terms of the structure of an NDA, it's important that the agreement clearly sets out the following. So it should have the purpose for which the parties are disclosing any information, the scope and definition of confidential information, in what circumstances the recipient will be permitted to disclose the confidential information, the term of the NDA, the remedies available if the NDA is breached, and the governing law and jurisdiction. Thanks, Sophie. Now let's have a look at what you might find in a classic NDA. So firstly, considering the purpose. If the parties are entering into discussions, they will often set out the purpose for which parties will be exchanging any information. This could be in relation to a specific deal or for the parties to form a commercial relationship. It is really important that any NDA clearly defines a purpose as this outlines the parameters around which information can be used by the receiving party. That's correct. And building on that, the definition of confidential information must also be agreed between the parties and cover all of the information that the parties envisage will be exchanged under the NDA. This is because if information outside of the definition is disclosed, it won't be afforded the protection of the NDA's obligations or its terms. But the parties should also be careful not to cast the net too wide and include non-confidential information because a court wouldn't enforce an NDA in relation to information which was clearly in the public domain or which was widely known. Okay, so now let's consider when 
or the circumstances in which a recipient of confidential information may disclose said confidential information to third parties. The first category is called, or known as, permitted disclosures, where the recipient may want to be able to disclose the confidential information to certain third parties on a voluntary basis, such as other companies in its group, its employees and directors, or even professional advisors, if that is necessary to carry out the NDA's purpose. These additional persons are often referred to as permitted recipients. In these circumstances, the original recipient will often be expected to be responsible for ensuring that any permitted recipients of the information comply with the same confidentiality obligations under the NDA. And if the permitted recipients do breach the obligations, it is likely that the disclosing party will want to hold the original recipient responsible. In terms of the circumstances in which a recipient would want to make mandatory disclosures, we would expect to see scenarios where the recipient is required by law or a regulatory body to disclose the confidential information, for example, under a court order. Again, it is common to see some conditions to this, such as the recipient telling the original disclosing party that disclosure has been required as long as it is not prohibited by law or the terms of the required disclosure and only disclosing confidential information to the extent necessary to fulfil their legal obligations and the legal requirements. Thanks, Ed. So next we'll look at the return of confidential information. An NDA will often contain a clause that permits the disclosure to request that the confidential information is returned to them or destroyed. This request may either be on notice, for example, seven days notice, or upon immediate request. This is to ensure that the disclosure has control over that information and also to ensure that the receiving party is not able to retain the disclosing party's confidential information once the purpose has been achieved. It will also often be triggered upon termination or expiry of the NDA so that the information is passed back to the disclosing party once the NDA has come to an end. Next, we'll look at the term. So when it comes to the duration of an NDA, there are two things that the parties will often look at. So the first will be how long is the NDA going to be in place for? And the second is how long do the confidentiality obligations apply for? In relation to the first point, there is no one standard duration of an NDA, and this will often depend on the proposed deal or agreement between the parties, how long discussions are expected to go on for, and the nature of the information being shared. However, the duration typically ranges from two to five years, although parties can bring the term to an end earlier, such as by one party giving notice to the other. As regards to the second point and how long the confidentiality obligations themselves last for, it is often the case that information exchanged between the parties should remain confidential even though the NDA itself has been terminated or expired. You will therefore often see clauses that seek to extend the confidential obligations for a year or two after the termination of the NDA. It is, however, possible for the confidentiality obligations to be indefinite, especially where the information being shared is sensitive and could remain so indefinitely. Thanks, Sophie. Now we've considered the term, the return of confidential information, the disclosure, and of course the purpose of an NDA, let's now consider remedies. Often, you will see a clause in an NDA which sets out the rights of redress a party has if a receiving party was to breach their confidentiality obligations. This often refers to a party being able to seek damages, injunctive relief and equitable relief, such as specific performance, as common remedies for a breach of an NDA. In practice, it will usually be up to a court to decide what the appropriate remedy is in the circumstance. However, 
One remedy which frequently arises is whether the party should include an indemnity in an NDA for a breach by a party of its obligations. An indemnity provides a wider measure of compensation compared to normal damages or a normal damages claim for a breach of contract and potentially allows for enhanced level of recovery by a party of its losses. Ultimately, inclusion of an indemnity is a point for discussion by the parties and depends on their respective attitudes to risk, which will be determined by the nature of the discussions and the sensitivity of the information which is to be disclosed. So that brings us nicely on to our last point, which is the governing law and jurisdiction in an NDA. So the governing law and jurisdiction clause sets out the laws under which the NDA is governed, for example, the laws of England and Wales, and the courts in which any dispute would be heard and brought in, for example, the English courts. This will, of course, depend on a number of factors, such as where the parties are based, where they are operating and sharing the information, and where their assets are based, so as to ensure that they can access effective enforcement. So that now brings us to the end of our shoe pod on non-disclosure agreements. We have discussed what an NDA is, why it's important, and some of the common clauses that you would expect to find in an NDA. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening and goodbye.